0: Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. It's my, uh, it's been, um, my passion and, uh, I feel like my call uh, since I was in Bible college. I kind of got the the desire to make sure or to see that people knew the Word of God, and so it's been a real passion of mine and I want to talk a little bit about that tonight um, we'll be in first Corinthians chapter ten, and we'll look at verses one through thirteen i 'm going to grab my Bible here, and so if you want to turn there, you can, but in the meantime let's uh let 's talk about um reading the Bible, when you read your Bible, you're going to find that there's a lot of different things in there. How many found that to be the case? You might wonder what these things have to do with me, and, and one of the reasons that that might happen is that we think of the Bible as one thing, and we think of it in terms of uh, it giving us commands, that it's a book of rules, and it does have rules, uh, but it's more than that, and so um, what kind of things are there in the Bible, what kind of uh things do you find Ten commandments, okay, so why don't we call that law? Can we do that okay what else prophecy good okay um Genealogies are there. Let's kind of group some of these together. I, th- I would consider warnings under law mostly. It overlaps into some other categories. Genealogy. What's another? What's another? What does genealogy really do? In the Bible, what is it? History. Okay. When we're thinking about um, our genealogies. We're thinking about history. Okay. Parables. Okay. Stories, Um, let's see what that might be under. That might be under another category. When Jesus was teaching in parables, what what was he doing? I already said the verb, but teaching, okay? So teaching. Okay, and what else do we have? Anything else you can think of? Poetry, okay? Why don't we call that, if you're all right with this, Worship, okay, poetry, what what kind of um, things are poetry that are also worship? Psalms, right, okay, is there anything else that we might add to this? What is it? Proverbs, okay, Proverbs or wisdom, why don't we call that? Why don't we call that wisdom? Let's see if I can undo this here. Yeah. Okay, wisdom. All right. So, thinking about all of these things here, what are some things that? What are some uh, areas of scripture that would go under prophecy? Miracles. Okay, miracles. Thinking of uh, books of the Bible. Revelation. Okay. Daniel. There's a lot of places, aren't there? Yeah, those are all part of prophecy. So major, minor prophets, um, and they have apocalyptic, which is part of prophecy too. That's revelation. What about law? Any Anywhere you would think of as concerning law? Leviticus, okay. Let's just put that right here attached to that. we will put these here attached to this. Worship, we said psalms. Okay, history, what kind of uh, books are included there? What's that? Genesis, okay. Yep. We'll put historical books, if that's not too redundant. Wow, that's sloppy. Okay, what else? Wisdom. Wisdom. Proverbs and any others? How about Ecclesiastes? Okay, teaching. Any books you think of as teaching? Colossians? Okay, how about the letters of Paul? They call that didactic, which means teaching. Okay. So we have all these different areas of scripture, and uh, I wonder as we we think about this if uh, we come to the stories and we sometimes maybe don't know what to do with those. Um, we come across stories, and there's a lot of stories. What do we what do we do with the stories? Well, let me suggest that we don't we don't skip them, as we might wonder what does this really have to do with me? Because that's a long time ago, and. Those things are happening to them, they 're not happening to me. Um, what do we do with them and uh, I would suggest don't skip them because they're a way that God communicates with us too. We like um, We like to be told straightforward things like a lot of the lessons we would prefer are straightforward things like do's and don'ts okay that's easy we like We like that um, but when we say stories uh, i don't mean fictional stories because. These are not just; these are not fictional stories. A better description is uh, historical narrative. A narrative is a story. Historical means that it really happened in time. So when we read through our Bibles, we're not at, we're not thinking that man; those are wonderful fairy tales. It's too bad they're not true, but we can still get a principle from them. There's people that want to treat the Bible like that, like it's it's not a real thing. We just they're like Aesop's fables; they're not real, but there's a, a point that can be gotten from that. We think, I think, uh, I'm including you in this, I think we think that these are really true. These really happen. Are you with me? Now, this isn't just, it's fictional. This is historical narrative. And so we have a story and we can get something from it. And God has seen to it uh to take this, uh, his interaction with people, and to record it so that we could learn from it. And we know this from other places in history. You know, was it Santayana, the, um, the uh, philosopher who said, those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it, right? Have you heard that before? That if we don't learn from history, we're destined to repeat it. And so God has given us stories so that we could learn. Some people don't think you should draw principles from historical narrative, but I think that that's because... um it's hard to be consistent with it unless you know the right principles. And after all, we have examples of Jesus doing this, don't we? Remember when uh, the disciples were—I uh, think they were picking grain on the Sabbath, right? And somebody, somebody criticized them. And and what does Jesus? What story does Jesus tell related to that? Do you remember? about David and the showbread. So he goes back to a story to show that under the right circumstances, and he's, a, he's appealing to a principle, and unless we kind of know the context, it's hard to link those, but the principle is that, that life and humanity is more important than keeping the Sabbath rule. In other words, if somebody's life is at stake because they're going to starve, then you may have to pick some grain and eat that on the Sabbath. Just like David took the showbread. He was showing that there's a place for um, overstepping those ceremonies in order to preserve life. Okay? So he applies that principle. Paul does the same thing. But we're uh, in, a, in the West here, we prefer straightforward uh, propositional truth. But in the East, where the Bible was written, people communicated truth through stories. And they still do, and and this is part of the way that uh, the Bible is given to us. Consider Jesus's parables, the uh, gleaning of truth from the story of the tower that fell. Do you remember that that he's somebody uh, was was talking about God's justice, and, and he said Jesus brought up the story of a tower that fell on some people, and he said were they under the judgment of God because some uh, thing happened to them, and uh, he was making a point from a story. And so I think it's important that we understand that the stories of the Bible are not just things that happen to other people. They did happen to other people, but they have a point for us as well. And so um, there's straightforward teaching, and then there's these stories that have truths in them, and these things work together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse uh, 16 says, "...all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness." Would you consider the stories of the life of David as part of Scripture? Yes? How about uh, the stories in Genesis, that part of Scripture? okay? And, and all the stories that are, are told throughout the Old Testament, that's part of Scripture. And the stories of the New Testament and the Gospels and Acts, that's part of Scripture. And so when the Bible says that they're useful, they're useful for giving us um, understanding of what the Christian life should look like. So um, we need to take those special care when it comes to um, interpreting these stories to find out what's being taught. There's there's different, uh, I hate to call it levels, but different approaches to this. Okay, so let's um, let's call the first one. Let's just be number one here. Let's call this um, universal imperatives. Okay, so a command that applies to everybody at all times in all places, okay? So there are certain things that are are true of that, like murder is a prohibition no matter what culture you're in, no matter what time in history you live in, right? That murder is wrong, okay? Murder, and just in case our mind is going, well, what about people who fight in battle? Murder and killing are two different things. When the Bible says uh, in the King James Version, thou shalt not kill, uh, that's really not a super great translation of that because... There's a different word in Hebrew between murder and killing. Okay, did you know that? So there's a place for, and and this is something that we need to hammer out as the church, There, there may be a place for that's justified for justified killing within a context where you're protecting your family or fighting for your nation where you're endorsed. You're not going out there because you hate that person and you want to take their life. You're stopping something. And I think that's different. Okay? So... But we can agree that murder, premeditated murder, is wrong, no matter what culture you live in, no matter when you live, no matter what language you speak or where you're from. It's wrong. Right? Murder. That's, that's wrong. And so we would see that as a universal imperative not to murder. Okay, that's true across the board. Then I would suggest that a, a second category, and, and this may have some overlap, but let's just say the second category here, is warnings and prohibitions, Um, and then we need to understand the reasons behind it. There are some prohibitions that are there for a reason, but they may not be universal. There may be exceptions to it, okay? So, for example, um, not working on the Sabbath, right? You remember what Jesus said, if if your ox falls in a ditch, you have to get it out, okay? Right? So there may be an exception to that. The warning is that we're not to... We're not to work like that's the only mode of our existence. We're to, we, need to, we need to rest. We need to honor God. We need to not act like this whole world depends upon us and our, our activity and our work. There's a place for rest, and it's a way of honoring God. And so there are warnings and there are prohibitions, but there are reasons behind those things. There's a spirit behind the law that stands there. And then I would suggest there's a third category here, and this is... Um, wisdom principles and best practices, okay, um, everything from avoiding guilt, like Proverbs. There are Proverbs that if you look at them on the surface, they there's a couple of them that look like they contradict each other, okay, and the reason why they do that is because they're intended to be circumstantially applied. In other words, they're not universals that are applied in every situation, but in certain situations, it's the right thing to do, okay? You understand that that a proverb is not a law. A proverb is wisdom about things. Like we don't, we have proverbs too. um, But they're not always 100% the exact way to go in every circumstance. They have to be taken circumstantially. And now I wish I could think of an example and that would help. But these are best practices and they can go from anywhere from avoiding guilt to avoiding embarrassment. And then a fourth category um, that's there in Scripture, and I think these. this is here almost all the time, is truths about God. It's They're taught everywhere. So you have your commands, but even in the command, you're getting a truth about God. Do you realize that? So when it says, you shall not murder, uh, one of the truths about God from that is that God is a God of life and uh, that he created life and he is the one who governs life um, telling the truth, you know, not bearing false witness. God is a God of truth, and we learn about that, even from that prohibition. And I think you can find, um, you can find these truths about God almost anywhere. All right. Let's uh, talk about principles um, for gaining principles. Is that confusing or what? Principles about gaining principles. So we, we come to a, a, a passage of Scripture, a story. How are we going to find out what that's trying to tell us? Do we, we just go in there and go, you know what, I'm going to read into this whatever my experience is? Or is there a way that we can uh, understand what that text is trying to say? Because I think if it just means anything to anybody, then it can be misused and abused. And I think it needs to be understood a certain way. When you come to the stories of the Old Testament, we don't just read our culture into it. We need to understand what it's trying to say at that moment. And then we bridge it over to what it means for us. So, uh, the first principle, I think, for understanding stories is to understand, to have a broad understanding of Scripture. When you read a story, you need to know that that story fits within a framework, okay? It's not isolated, it's not there of its own accord. Like, parables would be an exception to that because Jesus is just telling a parable within that setting. But um, when you're thinking about, like, the story of David, David's story is connected to what happens before and it's connected to what happens after that. We need to understand that it fits within a place of Scripture. And so if you're going to understand any story in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's really good to have a broad understanding of the Bible. And So my recommendation to people is that um, knowing the Bible is hard work and it takes time. So you might not think that sounds very spiritual, but it's hard work and it takes time. And I want to tell you a secret. The more you know the Bible, the richer it is. So here's what here's the point of that, is that every time you read through the Bible and you add more knowledge to it, it gets deeper and richer. It's like one of those books that grows with you. Like you can read it at a surface level, and you can get something out of it when you're four and five years old, right? But you keep reading it, and when you're 99, nobody here's 99, but so... I'm just saying that if you're 99, you can still read the scriptures and you can get something deep out of it. It grows with you because there's a depth to it. I don't mean that when you're 99, you're going to read new things out of it, like you're going to, it's going to have a different interpretation for you, but it may have a different application. Okay, so that's really important. Understand as broadly as you can. Number two is consider the point of a particular book. So if you're reading... um, the chronicles for example we need to understand what the point of those books are what is the point of the book and the way you get that is you read through it and you ask the question what is this about and it and there are times when it tells directly what this is about john is a good example of that he says it straightforwardly these things are written that you might believe and that in believing you might have life in his name So we know what John's about. John tells us what it's about. So we need to read the whole book in light of his purpose statement that we might believe. So why is there seven signs in the book of John? So that we might believe. All of that is geared towards uh, what the book is about. Number three is we need to understand it in context. Um, So when you read, um, you read, for example, Let's take Acts chapter, what is that, 19, when uh, the seven sons of Sceva go in and they uh, they try to cast the demon out of the man, remember? And, and the guy beats him up and throws him out naked and bleeding, okay? Remember that? The point that we get a lot when we understand the cultural context in Jewish culture, and those guys were Jewish, nakedness was seen as extreme shame. You didn't even let your siblings see you naked. Okay? Nobody. And so uh, you'll notice in Scripture, a lot of times nakedness is closely tied with the demonic. Okay? And in the Old Testament, nakedness is tied with shame. And so in our culture, there's a loosening up of that. It's not as big of a deal, we think. But in Jewish culture, it was a very big deal. So for those guys to go out naked, And bleeding, um, that's like extreme shame. They got put to shame because they went in unprepared. So knowing some of the background of that helps us to understand the context. And then we bridge context, and we understand how does this thing apply in our story. Okay, when you're reading a story, notice repetition. If things are said over and over again, uh, it's a good clue to meaning in the book of Judges I think twice, maybe three times it says In that day Israel had no king And everyone did what was right in their own eyes now, If you know the broad context of scripture You know that constantly right was defined by Doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord okay? So now you're, you're finding a place of history Where people are are living contrary to What's right in the eyes of the Lord They're living according to what's right in their own eyes Notice um, wisdom through outcomes. Sometimes you'll find in these stories that the Bible doesn't say expressly this behavior is wrong, but then there are outcomes that indicate it shouldn't have gone that way. Okay, Here's an example. Um, you're going to find in the Old Testament lots of examples of polygamy. Okay, Are you with me? So a husband marries lots and lots of wives. Uh, are we to understand that that is God's purpose and design because nothing's expressly said about it? Although there is stuff said about it. It's just not always understood. Okay, I want you to know that I think every occasion, there's probably something like eight or ten different scenarios where there's polygamy in the Bible, and all uh, all but one of them has some kind of major conflict that happens as a result of it. Okay? And we need to see the outcomes of that in Scripture are indicating that that's not the right practice. That's not wise. Okay, Are you with me? It doesn't have to say, don't do this, when it shows time and time again that there's a bad outcome. Okay? That's the way the Bible works. And, and some people think that men have some kind of extra special past because there's no prohibition. And it's only women who have to abide by that one, uh, you know, that they can only be married to one husband. And actually, Jesus appeals to the beginning, and he says, this is how it was from the beginning, that a man, singular, shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, singular, and the two, not three, not four, not eight, shall be one flesh. Okay? So it's there, but sometimes it's not expressly stated as this is wrong, and Christians have gotten a lot of... Jews, for that matter, have gotten a lot of bad rap. Like, it's, you know, it's uh, um, patriarchal, and it always favors the males. Well, every single time, consider Jacob. Jacob and Leah and Rachel and the two concubines. Do you remember the conflict that was happening within that family as a result of that? David had eight wives. And do you know that he had conflict within his family as as a result of those half-siblings going to war with each other? Over and over again, you see it in the Bible, there's conflict. Even with uh, uh, Elkanah and Penina and, um, who am I thinking of now? Who is it? Yeah, and Hannah. There's conflict and jealousies within that house because it wasn't done the way that God intended for it to be done. So we, we look for things like that in these stories. Wisdom uh, comes through the outcomes. If there's judgment there, you can be pretty sure that that's not God's will, even if it says doesn't, doesn't say this is wrong. In a story, it doesn't have to say this is wrong. The judgment shows that it's wrong. Are you with me? Okay, and then you find uh, arrangement and selection, the way that things are arranged in Scripture, and the selection of what's told and what's not told uh, gives some indication of what's trying to be communicated. Uh, Then you want to listen for summary statements. Every once in a while, there will be a summary statement. I mentioned one already from the book of Judges. In that day, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Okay, that's a summary statement. So all these stories happen, and then all of a sudden, the narrator stops, and it tells us something. He tells us something about what's going on there. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. Why is there violence in Israel? Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. Why are the tribes warring with each other? Everybody's doing what was right in their own eyes. And so we're watching for things like that. Luke is a big one to do summary statements. Um, he does it in the, in the book of Acts when he talks about the day of Pentecost. And they were added to the church 3,000 on that day. Summary statement. It's telling us what's taking place, and it's telling us something about it. Um, then uh, consider the main point of the story. Usually stories, uh, when you look at the, the more smaller portion, they call it a pericope, which is a small portion of a story. Uh, you look for what the main point of that is. What's the main point of it? And then here's the other thing, that not every behavior that is done by a hero of the faith is right. Okay, Sometimes we tend to go, they're a hero of the faith, so whatever they do gets a pass. And that's not true. Um, there, you have to take it case by case and, and look at it through the eyes of all of Scripture. Uh, when Elijah calls down fire from heaven, great, wonderful. When he goes on the run after that and hides out, that's not wonderful. That's not an example to emulate. We can't just pick a character and go, boy, I like them. I'm going to emulate everything in their life. We have to distinguish, and this is true in all life, isn't it, that you have to take things case by case. If somebody is prophetic and they give a word, okay, just because they gave a really good word before or have done it several times, that doesn't mean this word's right. You have to judge case by case whether something is right or wrong, and not just based upon their track record. Now, their track record might be a good reason to consider strongly what they've said, but you also have to answer the Lord for those things. So not every behavior uh, should be seen as right just because the person doing it is righteous, and not every behavior should be seen as wrong just because the person is unrighteous. Balaam sometimes has moments of greatness. Balaam's not a good guy, but he's got some moments of greatness where you see some things come out. Like when um, the king of Moab wants to curse Israel, and and Balaam's like, I can't. I can't curse what God's blessed. And so you see a moment of spiritual clarity there. and, And that we ought to recognize as a really good thing while the rest of his life is on the trash heap. Joab sometimes has some really good things to say. But the tenor of his life is not really godly. He's kind of a scoundrel. And then number 10 uh, here on this is the main thing is going to be knowing the Bible and listening to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so in our remaining time, we've got about 15 minutes left. I want to take us through 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and just uh, show how... Um, Paul does this in 1 Corinthians 10, where he takes the Old Testament and applies it for us. So if you'll go with me there, 1 Corinthians 10. All right. Look at what it says here in verse 1. For I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and they drank and they got up and indulged in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel these things happen to them as examples and were uh, written down as warnings for us to whom the culmination of the ages has come so if you are if you think you are standing firm be careful that you don't fall no temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. All right. So Paul here is taking Old Testament Israel as the example, and he's applying some principles from uh, their interactions with God to these Corinthians who are mostly Gentiles. Okay, So you see there's Old Testament culture in which most of this is taking place in the wilderness. There's New Testament um Application to a group of Gentiles who are living in the city of Corinth, a city of probably 150,000. Okay. So wilderness, city, ancient uh, Israel, first century um, Greece, okay. Jewish people, Gentile people. How do you ever find commonality here? Well, the commonality is that both of them are people of God. That's the commonality, and that there are principles, moral principles that can be gained from it. So i like you to notice in verses 1 through 5 here the, that the stories, and once again, stories are not fictional stories, but these are real stories, they inform us, inform us. Notice that word inform, verse 1, I do not want you to be ignorant. What's the, what's the solution for ignorance? It's to be informed, isn't it? Like, we, we need knowledge. We need to know. And so Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things, but let me teach you the story or remind you maybe a better word of the story. These Corinthians, who are Gentiles, have some knowledge of the Old Testament. And so Paul is appealing to that, and he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know something. Notice verse 1-2 says, our ancestors. What is, what is an ancestor? Usually. What is an ancestor, usually? Somebody, what's that? Grandma Grandma and grandpa? Somebody in our family, right? Somebody before us in our family that we're the result of them, okay? But here's the strange thing is that none of these people that Paul's writing to, or most of them, I would suggest, there's probably some Jewish uh, Christians in the bunch, but I think the majority it's understood in Corinth is uh, Gentile that as Paul's writing to them, none of them descended from these people that he's talking about. none of none of the Corinthians descended um, genealogically from Old Testament Israel. So how can he call them ancestors? Anybody want to suggest something there? How are they ancestors? How are, how are the ancient Israelites ancestors to us? Everybody came from Adam and Eve, but we still have a split line here. Their forefathers, how about ancestors in terms of faith? That It's not necessarily that they're um, biological ancestors, but in terms of faith, they're the ones who preceded these Corinthians. Okay, so they're connected in that way, and he's pointing them back and saying these are the ones that went before. It's like the Book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a little more natural connection because it's written to Jewish Christians, but um, it talks about seeing how we have such a great cloud of witnesses, and it points back to the Hall of Faith and and those people. in The Hebrews are intended to be inspired by the stories of the Old Testament. And here, these Gentile Christians are intended to be uh, instructed or informed by these stories of the Old Testament. Now, I'm not saying that everything's identical because uh, there are some things that have changed between the Old and the New Testament. One, One thing that happens is that we don't offer sacrifices in the same way, right? None of us brought sheep or goats to church tonight, or if you're a little poor, some turtle doves. Nobody did that. Because something big and significant's already happened in history. What is that? It's the death of Christ. His once-for-all death covers all that. We don't need to offer those sacrifices anymore. Those sacrifices could never take away sins. They were a placeholder until Jesus could come. So now that's happened, so we don't have to do that. And it's not a national identity, so we don't have a government set up like you see in the Old Testament. Some people wonder, there's this extreme uh, view in some circles of Christianity called theonomy, where you believe that we need, to, we need to go back to every aspect of the Old Testament living in terms of law so that we become a, have a civil government based upon Israel's model and all of that. And I think the whole point of that was to preserve a people until the outbreak of the gospel could come upon all the earth and affect people from every tongue and tribe and nation. So all of that was preliminary, but we no longer need to have that exact structure. Like, we're not a theocracy, we're a, we're a republic, okay? And so it operates differently, but within that, there are freedoms to worship God and to be moral people under the banner of Christ. So they are ancestors in terms of faith. He relates to them with a kind of baptism. Uh, He says there in verse, I don't want you to be uh, uninformed, that all of our ancestors were all under the cloud. What's that referring to? Do you remember? What does it mean that they were all under the cloud? Huh? Coming out of Egypt? But how did God lead them when they were in the wilderness? There was something that happened by day and something that happened by night. What happened by day? A cloud. Okay, good. And at night, a fire. Can you see the common sense in that? That in the desert, at night, it gets cold. In the desert, in the day, what? It gets hot. What helps with heat? To have a cloud keeping the sun off you. What helps at night when you're cold? fire okay and it's visible both of those are visible in their proper setting the cloud by day and the fire you can't see cloud all clouds at night but you can see fire so it makes sense here it's talking about that leadership that god gave them through the cloud you all um they they were under the cloud and they all passed through the sea He's relating this to a baptism, the leadership of God leading them through the sea. It's like he's relating it to our baptism. He's not saying necessarily that they were baptized, but I think he's drawing an analogy here, the a kind of baptism through the sea. Okay, So in in a sense, as they pass through the Red Sea, they're initiated. Okay, And then uh, they all ate and drank spiritual food and drink, miraculous provision. And I think here there's probably a little bit of a... Uh, a hint, if not more than a hint, at the fact that we eat and we drink of Christ. Okay, not in a. I would I would strongly resist a sacramental sense. I don't think it's sacramental, like we're actually eating and drinking Christ. But I do think that it's relating to the idea of the covenant of bread and the cup, that that symbolizes the New Testament, and they they had a form of that where God provided them bread and who provided them. Drink spiritually, okay, and, and physically, but he's relating to it spiritually. And then he says that they drank from the rock, which was Christ. God was with them. And we have to remember the Trinity. It says the rock, which was Christ. And we might be surprised to find that because when we think of the Old Testament, we usually don't think of Christ. Who do we think of in the Old Testament? God, God the Father, maybe? We don't typically think of Christ, but when you consider it, has the Trinity, is it a new development in the New Testament? Or has has there always been Trinity? I mean, if you look at the classical creeds on this, it's co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, co-eternal. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed. And so Christ was there in the Old Testament, and he was the one that led them And guided them. Uh, And so he's not, Paul's not here reading back into the Old Testament, these realities, but trying to make, he's trying to make the connection for the Corinthians by showing them that there's similarities. And if I understand the Old Testament right, Israel was believing in a promise by God for a Messiah to come. And so there's a connection and there's principles that carry over. And the main principle that carries over is that their recipients, Israel's recipients of God's help, and many of them turned away. Okay, that's the principle there. Verses six through ten show us that these stories command us. The first one was that these stories inform us, but now these stories command us. Look at six through ten with me. And there it says, um, "Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our heart on evil things, as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. Uh, do not be." And we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And verse 9, we should not test Christ as some of them did. Verse 10, and do not grumble as some of them did. Notice the analogy here. Some of them did this, we shouldn't. Okay, It's drawing from an Old Testament story. In fact, there's several stories that are being related here. Notice verse 6. These things occurred as examples to keep us from doing a particular thing. These are the commands that follow, the principle is this, don't set your heart on evil things as they did. That's the principle, that's eternal, okay? Uh, if there's one thing that Paul's trying to draw out from this old te- these Old Testament stories, is that people who forfeited their walk with God were those who set their eyes on evil things. If you set your eyes on evil things, it will pull you away from Christ, be careful not to do that. And so it says, don't be idolaters, as some of them were. It's referring to Sinai in Exodus 32, where they built the golden calf. Okay, And then it says, don't commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And it's referring to Numbers 25, when the Moabites, and this is, remember, Balaam was there, and he tried to curse Israel, and they couldn't do that, because they were blessed. And so they came up with another scheme. What was the scheme? Anybody remember? They sent... Moabite women in among the Israelites to tempt them, and you remember there was the story of Phineas, remember Phineas? Um, the priest, he was fed up with it, and uh, these Israelite men were taking Moabite women into their tent and sleeping with them, and God was angry, and Phineas took a spear, and he went into the tent where two of them were, and he pinned them to the ground with it, remember that, and whatever the plague was going on was lifted as a result of that. So do not uh, do not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And then don't test Christ. This is referring to Exodus 17 where um, the Israelites p- um, try to manipulate the situation and say to Moses, have you brought us out here to die? What is God doing in this? Can, can't God provide for us? And they were testing God. They were putting him to the test through manipulation with words. And He says, "Don't do that, and don't grumble." Number sixteen, where they grumbled against Moses and against God, and he judged them. Remember, he sent snakes in among them, and he judged them. Now, uh, how do we how do we know um, how do we know those things were wrong from the Old Testament? If we didn't read Corinthians here, and we just read these Old Testament stories, which are all there. Paul is drawing from them. How would, they, how would we know that they're wrong? Well, God judged them for it, right? And usually there's a statement about why he's issuing judgment. And so we know they're wrong. And the enduring principle is keep from setting our eyes on evil things. Finally, uh, these stories, they warn us in verses 11 through 14. Look at verse 11 with me. These things happen to them as examples, as warnings, for us, so Paul sees the analogy that 's the likeness between the Old Testament experience and the New Testament uh need, and so um those who could claim absolute freedom in the New Testament from any moral code have to understand that God still cares about what we do, and so these things are repeated in the New Testament, so another principle comes out, and that's this in verses eleven through fourteen got three minutes and I think I can do it humanity is the same and God is the same okay now you might have heard me say humanity is the same of God that's not what I meant humanity of the Corinthian era first century and the humanity of the Old Testament Israelites is the same humanity and the humanity of the Old Testament Israelites and the humanity of us today is the same humanity have you ever read some of those stories in the Old Testament and go, yes, that's how people are. It's just like that. We're just like that, and that's the point. And the other point that's being made here simultaneously is that God is always the same, okay? He doesn't change. He's the same as he's always been. And this is the point that he's trying to make. So humanity is the same. God is the same. Look at verse 11. These things that happen to them, are warnings for us. So he's making the analogy that they endured it. They went through these kinds of things. They're warning for us. How could that be if there wasn't some commonality between us? Verse 13, no temptation has taken you except what's common to mankind. This is making the point the temptations they faced are the same temptations the Corinthians faced. They're the same temptations we face. Okay. Sometimes we believe the satanic lie that Nobody's ever really seen the troubles that we have seen, and nobody uh, can understand the temptation that I'm going through, and nobody can really relate to me, and that's a lie. That's a lie. The enemy would have us believe that nobody's gone through. Yes, the arrangement of those events in your life may look a little different, but there is somebody out there that's gone through it. Whatever you've gone through, somebody else has gone through it somewhere, okay, and and the general principles, if we back off far enough, you might have been betrayed by a friend and another might have been betrayed by a spouse, but two people can; those two people can understand betrayal. Are you with me? Okay. And so there's a commonality that can be shared within betrayal. It may feel a little bit different from one perspective to another, but betrayal has a certain feeling and uh, experience that goes with it. And so... The temptations are the same. It's common to mankind. And then verse 13, God is faithful. And what is faithfulness except being the same as time goes on? Okay, faithfulness means being and doing the same as always has been done. And you can count on him because he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, does this mean that if a person feels like the temptation was too much for them? that this verse is a lie, okay, let's put it another way. If you've ever been in temptation and you just felt like you weren't strong enough, let me ask you the question, could you have overcome that temptation? Yeah, you could, because the Bible says God will make a way of escape. And so that puts a lot of pressure upon us, we feel, that we have to overcome that temptation. But you don't have to do it alone, because the Bible says he will make a way of escape. So we can count on that, too, that he will make a way out if we're looking for it. problem is, a lot of times when temptation comes, we're not looking for a way out. We're looking for a way to satisfy, whatever that is. Okay, so we have the same humanity as them. Don't think that we're above failure. Look at verse 12. Notice what it says here. It says, um, so if you think you're standing firm be careful that you don't fall. Why would he say that? Comes right in the middle of this whole thing about this commonality of humanities reaching back into the Old Testament and saying there's some things we can learn from them because they're humanities like ours. And it's saying that to us and now it's saying if you think you stand be careful lest you fall. Why? Because we're human. And that's true of all of us. Nobody gets a path. We sometimes get this thing that we're super spiritual and it could never get us. And that is a dangerous place. We need to understand that except for the by the grace of God, there go I, right? That it could be me having done that. I think you'll find um, these principles will come to us if we... We look at Scripture, look at all of Scripture, try to understand that passage in its context, and ask the questions of what's trying to be said here. And we can glean principles that translate from one culture to another. The principle of this passage is don't don't set your eyes on evil things. Look to the Lord, and uh, he'll bring you through. All right. Hey, thanks for your attention tonight. Hope uh, you've been ministered to, and more importantly... I hope that you'll be students of the Bible. That's really important. We've been given a great uh, tradition as Christians to be able to read the Bible for ourselves, and we have literacy. And uh, God's Word is there, and it's rich, and it's for us. And so let's dig into it and receive all that God would have for us. Father, thank you. I ask your blessing upon what's been taught tonight, and I pray that there's something here that would resonate with us beyond this moment And I pray, Lord, that you would open up Scripture to us and help us to see it for what it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you're blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.